You're listening to the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Vicky Marinka, a podcast bringing you interesting conversations about careers and communications. Today, I'm talking with Steve Earle. Steve has led and grown communications consultancies over a 25-year career and currently works with companies going through sweeping change. Today, we're talking about ESG, environmental, social, and governance, and the legacy of COVID-19 on ESG and corporate reputation. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. Thank you. Nice to see you. So I always start with a few questions, just giving you a chance to introduce yourself. So let's dive into those. Give me your elevator pitch and how you describe what you do to strangers. So uh, my elevator pitch, I'm, I've been in, um, in communications, yes, 25 plus years. I started in journalism and I really got involved in the industry um, working for tech agencies and tech clients right at the very beginning of the internet when it was starting to take hold. And um, I, I built a career through doing work for tech, cl- uh, tech co- companies. And then over time, that morphed into doing work across different industries that were changing because of tech. So everything I've done has been about explaining tech and explaining the consequences of change, really, to all manner of different audiences. Often, you know, audiences that have no clue about tech at all. And that, that's really where I've built my career to date. And at the moment, of course, with the pandemic and how the economy and societies rebound, that's never been more relevant. Can you give me a potted history of your career and some information about your current role? I studied journalism. I went into regular news journalism, realised I was never going to make a fortune doing that. Um, salaries were poor and they hadn't really adjusted at that time um, newspapers to the, the internet and how that was going to change publishing. And I went into uh, into comms, worked agency side for agencies that specialised in tech. I started my own agency when I was mid-twenties, madness uh, in in hindsight, but that worked, sold that business, worked for for a group that had um, clients across tech, across corporate work and across consumer and some healthcare, and then went on to start a new business for an existing network, again, working across all those different areas. So tech's always been my heartland, but um, increasingly I've been working in different industries that tech is changing. Let's talk about ESG. Uh, what is ESG in layman's terms and why does it matter? So ESG, uh, environmental, social and governance. And really, this is um, has emerged as a framework for understanding how a business is valued. In, in, in years gone by, um, the majority of the way in which a business was valued by its owners, by its stakeholders, shareholders, customers was um, was how successful it was at making money fundamentally that, that, that was um, the age of shareholder capitalism in, in which you know that those returns were all important and we've moved um, in more recent years into an age of stakeholder capitalism this has been um, you know, bubbling up over the past couple of decades really yeah, ESG is now seen as the way in which majority of businesses are valued by all the different audiences stakeholders that value them but principally by the shareholders that own them if they're a public business um, what it means uh, is that a business needs to um, really be measurable across uh, what it does um, in terms of reducing its impact on the environment, uh, increasing the value that it brings to a society and being a well-governed business. And of course, unless you're very well governed as a business, you are likely to be able to reduce your environmental impact and be a better player in social terms. So can we break it down a little bit so that you can give me some specific issues that would fit into each category? So what are the issues within environmental, within social and within governance that companies need to look at? So within um, the environmental area, uh, as you imagine, it's uh, plastics uh, and um, uh, you know, plastics in the oceans is, is a big issue. Greenhouse gas emissions, water and wastewater management. 
um, that, you know, anything that basically uh, has you know a, a negative impact on planet Earth fundamentally would fit into the environmental category. Um, social is, is broad. Uh, so yes, it is things like um, uh, looking after local communities or the role you play in communities at large. And those communities in, with a global business can, of course, be global, but also uh, employee welfare, um, the welfare of people who work for your suppliers throughout your supply chain. So not just the people you employ yourselves, diversity and inclusion, the way in which you bring people into the workplace and you manage their careers. So, so it's it's all about people, first and foremost, but it's not just your people. It's, it's everyone that's connected to what you do as a business and people in the community at large. And then governance really is, is how you um, govern yourself, how you behave as a business, how you govern yourselves in pursuing your ambitions, in, in doing what you do day to day. And of course, there'll be some, not overlap, but there'll be um, some governance aspects that have a bearing on environmental and social factors as well. So how well are you set up as a business um, to mitigate the impacts of climate change? What, what governance decisions have you made that put you in a position to have a net positive impact on the environment, for example? And how does ESG link to corporate reputation? So increasingly, more directly. Um, the, the, the challenge has always been really that both reputation and ESG have been struggling to be better defined. You know, reputation has been about you know, art and science and to a degree always will be. But understanding um, you know, what reputation in particular, what risk there is around reputation has been an emerging area for a long period of time you know to be able to definitively say this will have that impact on your reputation is something that we are getting to grips with but um we're still not there yet yeah, esg has had many different definitions to a degree it's been um a little subjective but again it's becoming much more objective as it gets nailed down so how does it have a bearing on, on reputation now that ESG is becoming clearer and better defined, we can start to link it more clearly to reputation and start to understand and measure how um, a company's reputation, so what, what opinions and beliefs are held about it in that area of ESG now exist amongst its audiences. And now that it's better defined, it's easier to track. So how do you evaluate ESG and its impact on reputation? Is there, is there data around this? Are there equations to help you with it? Yeah, I wish there was a single answer to, to, to that. I mean, the the um, the short answer really is to start to track it. So, um, yeah, now that ESG is better defined for business, there are there are not de facto but emerging singular standards. Seems to be the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board's definition of multiple aspects of uh, of ES and G. So, if you can um, uh, take a standard approach to to, to ESG. And then understand what your reputation is formed of. So what's written about you in the media, um, what is shared about you on social media, and what sort of engagement is there around that? What do NGOs write about you in reports, and how do they feel about the progress you're making in, in um, transforming, transitioning as a, as a business? What do your uh, internal stakeholders, your, your, your staff, your, your business partners think and feel? What do investors think? What are their priorities? And once you can take stock of all of that, you can start to uh, understand what impact reputation makes on uh, and all of this. And you can really understand also what your competitors' reputations look like as well, because a lot of this data is now in the public domain. It will never be completely scientific. By its nature, reputation is about opinion and belief. And so you've got to, <laughs> you've got to assume people will tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth in the first place. But increasingly, there are ways to take stock of it and mix and match that against these increasingly clear definitions of ESG. 
How challenging is it for comms people to influence the ESG agenda? Are they just there to communicate it or can they actually influence the strategy? No, I, I think increasingly it will be about influencing not just the, the strategy, but about what companies do as well as what they say, because, you know, this is a proverbial journey for, for a lot of businesses. You know, no business is, is perfect. Um, and so, uh, yeah, to a degree, the answer will be, you know, if you've made huge progress on reducing your carbon emissions, for example, you know, working with communicators to tell a story around that, to get people interested in it, to bring it to life um, and to share it with the wider world. But there will be other aspects of, of ESG where, you know, a, a company's only just really started to make a difference in, in that area. And so as communicators, we can give advice around, you know, what the public expectation would be and what investors might want to see in, in that area. But a business is going to need to take action um, and force some kind of change before you know, communications is really part of the uh, of the solution. But um, increasingly, there is an appreciation, I think, amongst business that uh, ESG and reputation should be part of the same mix rather than parallel paths. And so increasingly, the advice we give around, you know, how you'll be perceived and how your reputation will be formed if you take a certain kind of action to change, you know, that, that is starting to get through and we're starting to get more of a seat at the table around it. How did you get into this area of communications? Well, really, I've I've always been in it because um, technology has um, always had the ability to change people's lives. You know, when I started in this line of work twenty five years ago, the internet was just starting to change. You know, how we shopped, um, how we travelled. You know, it's changed hugely in the past twenty five years. But even back then, companies in the tech industry were acutely aware that what they did would change lives, livelihoods, policy. Uh, and so they had to be conscious of that change. But some of those were sort of pioneers in some of the, um, you know, the ESG focused work that we see across different industries uh, today. So I've really always been in it. It's just that in more recent years, uh, it's become more prevalent and more central to the work that I do. Can you give me some real world examples of ESG, good examples of, of companies' reputation being enhanced by the way that they communicate ESG, the way that they handle their ESG policies. Yeah, I mean the the um, the uh, sort of broadest example really would be the big commitments that businesses have made around becoming carbon neutral or net zero by a certain point in time. And if you're a, you know in a pollutive industry, you can only go so quickly in making that change. So it's something that's maybe a couple of dec- decades away. Other businesses have been able to commit to something that is. Um, uh, is carbon negative, so not just net zero, but but um, having a, a minus impact uh, on the environment from a carbon perspective. And uh, you know, obviously, those are big commitments that they have to um, sign up to over the long term, and they have to chart their progress over time. So that that is a big deal for a for a business. But then there are um, smaller, but also very very meaningful um, commitments that companies might make around. Uh, some of the social aspects. So, you know, Unilever recently um, committing to paying the minimum live, living wage, not just across, of course, its employee base, but across that of its entire supply chain. So, that is a company standing up and um, it's it's um, money where its mouth is really mm. around ensuring that it's not just its own walls that it's that it's governing there, but it's um, it's everything across its entire supply chain because it has essentially a duty of care that goes well beyond its own business. Can you think of a, an example where a lack of strong ESG policy has led to, you know, a negative reputation? I'm thinking perhaps of uh, Sports Direct or Ryanair. Why is that and how do they get away with it? Clearly, with some 
companies, and they, I'm sure they, 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 they know this, ultimately what consumers want is a product at the cheapest possible price. And there is almost a sort of moral trade-off between you know, consumers wanting to buy something um, at a huge discount or something that seems very attractive versus you know, the moral fiber and, and the, the broadest uh, stakeholder performance of the, um, of the business. Um, I think over time that will change. And because you know, even if a company is offering something at rock bottom prices, fundamentally it has to stand for something. So you know, if if a, if a business, if a retailer, for example, is able to offer something at, at an alarmingly low price and people buy it, if members of that people's family start to lose their jobs, or you know, there is such negative impact on the on the workforce that they start to question whether that business model is sustainable, not just for the business, but for them and their family and their friends and their neighbours, then there is a day of reckoning potentially coming for, mm. for businesses like that. Um, and business models will always evolve, will always shift. There'll always be a place for, for you know, price above, um, above all else. But I think um, we're going to see that opportunity to be that kind of business narrowing over time mm. because of investor pressure and fundamentally because of public pressure. And how's COVID impacted the ESG agenda in business? If anything, it's accelerated the change that was already there, which which is you know a, a fairly sort of um, obvious take on a lot of things that COVID has accelerated. You know, for example, the um, uh, the online World Economic Forum uh, event at the end of January, I think, that concluded that. ESG wasn't just going to become more and more important to business um, going forward. It's going to become the single most important issue driving the way that businesses are reshaped, reorganized and realigned to the needs that we're going to have for the long term. So it's not it's not going to be that um, certain aspects of ESG are going to be pulled out as the big priorities and others may be deprioritized. The entire ESG agenda is going to be central to how businesses change. And that means that as communicators, you know, we have to help client businesses communicate through that period of change of course but it's something that all communicators are going to need to get to grips with you know whether whether you are uh, you know drumming up emotional engagement for a consumer brand around a certain issue or whether you're doing corporate communications and investor relations and you're already right in the thick of some thorny ESG issues you need to understand the ESG-led transformation that your client is going to have to go through. And does this give communications people an opportunity yeah, I mean, if anything, I think it, it brings forward some of the change that we, we have been seeing in our industry for a while um, anyway, you know, um, uh, not relying just on hoping that earned media, for example, will make a difference to business, but being able to to prove that it will. So so how we evaluate um, the, you know, the investments of clients making us, how we plan the work that we're doing so that we're aligned to the ESG factors that are really going to make a difference to a client's business rather than just, you know, it feels like it's the right idea for a campaign. So, so really, um, you know, the, the, the change I think is going to be um, anchored on a more rigorous approach, you know, using mm. data more. And, you know, it'll never be a complete science just because of the nature of reputation and perception and, and uh, you know, the, um, the field we, we play in. But um, increasingly, I think, you know, knowing you're making a difference and knowing that that is impacting ESG-driven change is going to become important to comms. And it will become an opportunity because it'll allow us to prove our value. You know, if, if anything, COVID has made the, um, the, the value of communications and the nature of what we do much more in the spotlight than it has been before. That's great. There's an opportunity to build on that. But the opportunity mm. comes with proving the value of what we do and making you know, the change that we deliver definitive rather than um, continuing to hope it'll make a difference. 
And how will communications professionals prepare for that? And what skills should they be looking at developing, for example, so they can best serve their clients in terms of ESG and reputation? I think um, to understand what, what the ESG frameworks actually are, rather than just, um, you know, making reference to ESG. And yes, it's very important, just as we maybe did with, with CSR in the, in the past. And then, you know, being able to advise clients ar- around uh, the ESG aspects that matter most to them, rather than waiting for a, you know, a client to say, yes, we really feel we should be doing something on plastics in the ocean. Yes, that's a very, very important issue, of course. But um, being able to be more analytical for clients to understand what's going on in their markets, what's going on with their mix of investors, what's going on with their customers. So you know, being more insightful is is really, really important. And frankly, the industry has been going that way for some time. You know, we've had to understand audiences better. We've had to understand media change better. But we now need to understand and embrace the ESG agenda and understand, you know, how is it defined and which aspects are going to be most important for clients in the future. ESG is such a huge topic. How do you start with this? Where, you know, where do you start? How do you prevent yourself being overwhelmed when you're looking at ESG as an issue? So it's, it's of course, easy to get overwhelmed because it's a fundamental uh, wholesale change in business and why business is done. But I, I think the important thing is yeah, not to get daunted by it, get to grips with it by understanding the definitions of it so you're clear about what this all is rather than it being this sort of uh, you know, nebulous movement. <laughs> you know, this, this stuff is documented. Um, so read up on it and then really start thinking about how that has a bearing on the work that you do so that you're going into conversations with clients, for example, uh, mindful of the pressures on them, mindful of the challenges they have in getting their heads around it as well, because we're all going through this at the same time. And then it'll it, really, the root of this lies in being better informed, mm. understanding ESG better, understanding the data behind it and the change that the industry is going through better, rather than being swayed by any one particular issue. Really, it's a time uh, above all to stick to the facts. Uh, and that's is a good way, I think, to avoid being overwhelmed by this big change we're going through. Are there any good sources of information you can recommend for ESG, or is it just a case of reading the Financial Times and all of the you know broadsheets on a regular basis? So I would say, and this is not the best of bedtime reads, but go to the um, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board website, download that definition of ESG, just just to map it out, uh, and then you'll understand. You know, fundamentally how this stuff is defined. And then um, I would start to just look at what different um, sort of bellwether companies are doing different in different sectors around their, their ESG agendas, not just the big comms campaigns they're coming up with, but um, have a look at their annual reports, have a look at how they're presenting themselves and, and, and how they're setting out the stall around the change that they're aiming to deliver over the next few years. And then you'll get a sense of you know the, the scale of the commitments the businesses are having to make and how they're communicating it. So tell me, what one campaign would you like to be remembered for? I don't think there's any one campaign and uh, obvious answer, but I hope it's yet it's yet to come, um, really. But um, I guess some of the um, the campaigns that I'm most proud of from the past have been uh, where we won because of the strength of the team. So it's about being best agency to work for or where the team has had to you know, really push the boundaries to deliver something, not just in terms of a creative approach or great activation but where a team has had to really push back on a client maybe and advise them to challenge them to do something that is a lot more daring or to turn an issue on its head so for me it's it's uh, you know about the cultural aspects of running an agency those are the areas that um, I'm most proud of. Who from history would you most like to have had the opportunity to work with or do the communications for? 
So I thought long and hard about this one. Um, and I, I wish I had a more cerebral answer, but for me, it has to be Eric Cantona. He's an, <laughs> I mean, I'm a, a lifelong United fan, but he is the enigma. And I remember, you know, uh, his seagull follows the trawler statement and the whole, entire world heard that and thought, is this guy for real? Is, is, is he just uh, taking the piss out of all of us? Or is this, um, uh, is this something that, um, that he's been thinking long and hard about and no one quite knew when he'd left the press conference? I wish I'd been able to advise him on his comms at the time. Not, not was, that, was that after the kick? Much. Oh yeah, after the kick. Yeah, exactly. That was when he did his, his press conference after that. But I think that the um, often the people who say fewer things but make them more poignant are the ones it's more interesting to work with he's certainly enigmatic isn't he <laughs> yes what advice would you give someone just starting their comms career or looking for their first comms opportunity so i think it's something that i was told right at the beginning of my comms career and that, and that is that there are three uh, aspects of someone being good at comms um one they've got to have a good brain they've, they've got to um, be able to get their head around things Two, they've got to work hard. Um, and three, they've got to be curious about the world around them. Uh, so, you know, if, if you work hard, you've got a good brain and you're just, you know, one of these people who's never quite satisfied and you always want to learn more and you're, you always want to ask the awkward question, that will take you a long way. And I've always been a big believer in that if you've got those attributes as an individual, you know, you can be taught anything about comms. Great. And what predictions do you have for the future of communications? I think it's going to have to, as, a, as an industry, embrace data more. And now that sounds like the, you know, the most sort of functional, rational thing you could possibly say. But I think we've got to the point now, and, and the pandemic will only accelerate it, at which we've got to be able to prove the value of what we do better. Because fundamentally, big clients still want to have lunch when we can have lunch in the real world again. <laughs> with the person who runs the advertising agency rather than the person who runs the comms agency. Not, not always, um, but they're the ones who you know, have more confidence because they're more adept at proving their value. You know, earned, I've, I firmly believe, can deliver much more value than paid pro rata. That's why businesses ultimately invest in it. If we can get more data-driven about proving that value, it will really help us as an industry. So it's, it's understanding that uh, and not thinking, right, that will you know, crush creativity or you know, stop a lot of the artful aspects of what we do with media or with content coming to the fore. No, it should give us the right platform for to, you know, achieving even more with that. But unless we can understand how you get more bang for your buck with earned and you can deliver a trusted reputation, you can build that up and you can promote it and protect it over time, you know, it, it, we will always be in the shadows of other aspects of marketing mm. unless we can get more serious about the data and proving our value. What's the most ridiculous or embarrassing thing you've done in the name of communications? Oddly, being mistaken for Vinnie Jones, which wasn't what I thought would happen when I woke up that morning. It was working for a competitor of Amazon's in the late 90s, small client that was selling DVDs and CDs online. You couldn't download things back then. And so they said to me, right, we want to prove that we can get DVDs into consumers' hands faster than buying through Amazon. So um, I was charged with taking a, a new uh, movie release on DVD and getting it to doing a desk drop to journalists one morning before they could um, have ordered it through, um, through Amazon and get it delivered then next day. So I, I had to run around central London with about 100 DVDs in a backpack because they didn't trust a courier to do it. Um, I was absolutely knackered. And the last media house I delivered to was The Guardian when it was on Farringdon Road, just because it was the 
that's how the route worked out. And uh, I was exhausted by the time I got there. Security wouldn't let me in to deliver it to the journalist in person. So I had to leave it on, you know, phone him from, uh, from front desk and leave a copy for him. And he assumed because of my, you know, out of breath, snarling attitude on the phone that the, uh, the movie company had, or the, the retailer had commissioned Vinnie Jones himself. It was lock, stock and two smoking barrels uh, to do the desk drop in person. And that's what appeared in the Guardian the next day, which was pretty <laughs> embarrassing for me. And uh, yeah, client obviously wanted to know what had gone on. That was certainly the weirdest day at work. Thank you so much, Steve. That was a really interesting conversation and I feel much uh, better informed. You've been listening to the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast. If you'd like to get hold of me, I'm on the usual social media channels with the handle the DSTM podcast, or you can email me at the DSTM podcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and colleagues, and don't forget to subscribe for more interesting conversations about careers and communications. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.